I want you to grab your Bible and uh, turn to Matthew 22. We are in week, uh, in our third week of a kind of our Lenten series. And for those of you who need a page, it's uh, 828, I believe. 828 in the Pew Bibles. We are week three of our uh, Lenten series called Resolute. Week one, we saw Jesus coming into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And uh, he came in as a king. And there were kind of two parades that were going on. And ultimately, Jesus was being worshipped by his disciples, but yet his heart broke because he knew the plight of Jerusalem. He knew the condition of people's hearts. But yet he turned his eyes towards Jerusalem and he went entering into pain. This whole week was a, is a preparation as he's going towards the cross, intentionally going towards pain. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took on sin. The, the week after that, we, uh, we saw how Jesus uh, came again. into He left Bethany, came to Jerusalem, came into the temple. And there, what did he see? He saw that the temple was just a disaster. That people were uh, changing money and there was all kinds of commerce going on. And that in itself is not bad. The, the issue, though, was that worship was not possible. And Jesus just had this zeal for the Lord's house. He had this zeal that just burned and consumed him, that there would be right and proper worship for God, the God who deserves it all, that worship should be taking place there. And last week, I, uh, I ended with uh, some, some questions for us to, to kind of wrestle through. And uh, as we wrestled through, there were, there were questions that I asked. And the question number one is, are you growing intentionally, intellectually, in every way possible in your worship of God? And I'm not just talking about Sunday morning, but your, your whole life of worship. Are you growing to enjoy God in all that he is, all that he has done, and all that he will do? Are you growing in that so that your life is more a life of worship? Is that true of you? Second question was one of how are you growing in your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you growing in such a way that you want to use all your skills, your gifts, your talents to encourage them, to come alongside them so that they may grow more in love with Jesus Christ? Are you growing more in love with the church, God's people? And last, the third question was, are you growing in such a way that you have heart lost people. And this week, I kind of threw Todd a curveball as he was planning worship um, because some of these questions that you know I'm, I'm crafting were bothering me. Is my heart even growing in such a way that I love the Lord in a far more deep and profound way? Is it true of me? Do I really love the Lord more today than I did five years ago. It's a little easier to look at five years. What about one year? Six months? 
my heart for the Lord growing in such a way that even over the past month, it is growing. And so I said, you know what? I need to, as I'm processing this, I'm going to change things up. So today we're going to look at Matthew 22, 34 to to 40, and hear what Jesus has to say about this, this love that we're supposed to have. Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And there is a second, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is a very radical statement. If you really get down to the heart of it, if you really look at it for what it's saying, this is a radical commandment. And what I mean by radical is that it really cuts to the root of our sinfulness. It exposes it for what it is. And by the grace of God, it severs it. The root of our sinfulness is this deep desire. This deep desire for our own happiness apart from God and apart from the happiness of others in God. Let me say it again. The root of our sinfulness is the desire to be happy apart from God and apart from the happiness of others in God. That's really the root of our sinfulness. All sin comes from a desire to be happy and happily cut off from God. To say that I can do this all on my own. I can achieve happiness. I can amass everything that I need apart from God. And I will be happy. And it also says, all sin is this desire to just even have happiness apart from others finding their happiness in God. It is a me-centered world, isn't it? Another name for this this root of sinfulness is pride. Pride is the presumption that we can be happy without depending on God as a source of our happiness. We can depend, uh, we can be happy without caring if others find any kind of happiness, especially happiness in God. And pride is the passion, is a passion that is happily contaminated and corrupted by two things. The unwillingness to see God as the fountain of true joy and lasting happiness. And the unwillingness to see others as people who are created by God, who need to receive joy found in Him. And if you take the desire to be happy and strip it away from God as your fountain of joy and your fountain of happiness 
and people as the recipients of your happiness in God, all you have left is just this engine that is propelling pride. Pride is the pursuit of happiness anywhere but in God and in the good of other people. This is the root of all sin. So Jesus says, love your neighbors as yourself. And with this commandment, he cuts to the root of our sinfulness. How does he do that? Well, Jesus basically says, in effect, listen, I am going to start with this, this inborn, this deep, defining human trait that all of you have, your love for yourself. You all have it. I'm going to assume it. I know it's true. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to start with that because every single person here in this room and room has a deep, profound love for yourself. Is it true? All of you. Starting with me. All of us have this powerful instinct for self-preservation, for self-fulfillment, right? All of us want to be happy, right? All of us want to live and to live with deep satisfaction. We all want food for ourselves. We all want clothes for ourselves. You want a place to live for yourself. You want protection from violence, from all kinds of mayhem that may be going about in this world. You want to have meaningful and pleasant activity all the days of your life. You want some friends to like you and to spend time with you. And you want your life to count for something. Is this true? All of us have this deep desire called self-love. And self-love is this deep longing to diminish pain and to increase happiness. We all have it. We want to diminish pain and increase happiness. And that's why Jesus starts with this. As yourself love your neighbors as yourself these are all acts of self-love and jesus says listen i'm going to start with this self-love this is what i know about you this is common to all people all humanity no matter what religious sect that you are a part of no matter where you are in your course of life this is all true of you it it comes with your humanity god the father created it in you it and of itself is good to hunger for food is not evil to want to be warm in the winter especially in illinois is not evil To to be safe in Christ, the desire to be safe in crisis is not evil. To want to be healthy is not evil. To want to be liked by others is not evil. To want your life to count for some significant way is not evil. This was a defining human trait before humanity fell into sin. And it and of itself is not evil. But whether this self-love has become evil will be exposed when you hear and respond to Jesus' commands. He commands, as you love yourself, so love your neighbor. 
as you love yourself, in the same way, love your neighbor. As you long for food, when you are hungry, so you should long to feed your neighbor when he or she is hungry. As you long for nice clothes for yourself, so you should also long for clothes for your neighbor. As you work for a comfortable place to live, so you should desire for a comfortable place for your neighbor. As you seek to be safe and secure in in violence and mayhem that's in this world, so you should seek that for your neighbor. As you seek friends for yourself, so to be a friend to your neighbor. As you want your life to count for something and to be significant in this world, so you should desire for that same significance for your neighbor. As you want to make good grades for yourself, so you should desire that for your neighbors. As you want to be welcomed when you are in strange company, in a strange place, so you should welcome your neighbor into strange company. In other words, and you can put this slide up for me, make your self-seeking the measure of your self-giving. How does that feel? Make your self-seeking the measure of your self-giving. That's a whole different call, isn't it? than what our, our American society says. Our American society says, you are the center of the world. And everybody else thinks that they're the center of the world. You build your own temple to you. And this is totally different. You are to make your measure of self-seeking the same measure of self-giving. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, the word as is a radical two-letter word. It is huge. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is a huge word, as. Love your neighbors as yourself. Jesus was intentional in his choosing of words here. So basically, if you are energetic in pursuing your own happiness, you are energetic and powered for your own happiness, you need to be energetic and powered in pursuing the happiness of your neighbor. Some of you are going, oh no. Are you serious? That screws up my whole plan. If you are created in pursuing your own happiness and how you achieve it in the same way you need to be creative in pursuing your neighbor's happiness. If you are persevering and working hard to pursue happiness in your life, remember the word is as. You need to be persevering in pursuing the happiness of your neighbor. In other words, Jesus is not just saying, you know, seek for your neighbor, the same things that you seek for yourself, you know, make sure that there's equality. But he's saying it, seek it in the same way. In the exact same way. With the same zeal, the same energy, the same creativity, the same passion, the same perseverance, 
the same life and death commitment that you have for yourself, seek it in the same way for your neighbor. The measure, uh, measure your pursuit of happiness of others and what it should be by the pursuit of your own. And how do you pursue your own well-being? Well, pursue your neighbor's well-being in that same way. For some of you, you got this very blank look on your face like, what is he calling me to? What does this mean? And as I was working through it, as I really am studying it and just kind of going, okay, Lord, what does this mean? My heart and my life started feeling very threatened. My lifestyle, my time, my finances, hear those mys, are feeling very threatened. My social circle, threatened. My optimal vision for the future and retirement, threatened. Because immediately, if I take Jesus seriously, if we take Jesus seriously at his word, and we believe that he is calling the not just those Jews way back then, but he's calling us in 2013 to the same kind of life, if we take him serious at this, we will not just have to love others as we love ourselves, but we will have to actually love them instead of loving others. This is what it feels like. We, we, it feels like if we really follow Jesus in this and we really devote ourselves in pursuing the happiness of others, then our desires and our happiness will always be preempted, right? It feels like, man, if I want Kyle and Candace's joy, I want them to be happy, I want them to be secure, I want them to be set, I want them to have this, and if I want this for them in the same way that I want it for me, which I want to be happy and set, they are always going to preempt my joy and my happiness. And that is a threat. But Jesus says, love your neighbors as yourself. Does this kind of change the way that we look at mission in this world? Man, people down in Haiti, man, it just really sucked that they had that hurricane. Maybe we should do something for them. Love your neighbors as yourself. Jesus is saying, listen, in the same way that you want to pursue happiness, security, health, pursue it also for these. It feels like a tremendous amount of threat. It feels like my neighbor's claim on my time, my neighbor's claim on my energy, my neighbor's claim on my create, uh, energy and creativity will always take a priority. So the command to love my neighbor as myself really feels like a threat to my own self-love. So how is this even possible? If there are, if it's born in us to have these natural desires for our own happiness, and if this is not in itself evil, but good, how can we give it up and begin to only seek the happiness of others at the expense of our own? And I think that is exactly what Jesus wanted us to feel. He wanted us to feel that tension. And until we realize that, we will not realize 
the importance of the first commandment. It's the first commandment that makes the second commandment doable and possible. It takes away the threat of the, the second commandment. It takes away the, the possibility that maybe the second commandment is really su- the suicide of my happiness. The first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The first commandment is the basis, the foundation for the second commandment. The second commandment here, the second commandment is a visible expression. The second commandment is a visible expression of the first commandment. Which means this, throw this one up, Connor. Before you make your own self-seeking the measure of your self-giving, make God the focus of your self-seeking. Make God the focus of your self-seeking. Some of us, it's, listen, I'm going to start with me and my happiness And out of that overflow, maybe I'll give a little bit extra to my neighbor in their pursuit of happiness. And and in the same way, I'm going to love God if I've got a little bit of extra overflow out of my love and my my self-love and my self-happiness. I'll make sure my neighbors are happy and I'll make sure God is happy. And we've got it all mixed up. It's just a total disaster. It's a mess. The reality is that God needs to be the focus of our self-seeking. The point of this first commandment is this. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. What is he saying? He's saying, find in God a satisfaction that is so profound, so profound that it fills up all of your heart. Find satisfaction in God first and foremost, that he satisfies you. Every part of your heart, he fills it up, and you are so deeply satisfied with him. You love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And then he goes on to say, love the Lord your God with all your soul. And it means to find in God a meaning so rich and so deep that it fills up all the aching corners of your soul. Love God with all of your mind. It means to find in God the riches of knowledge and insight and wisdom that guide and satisfy all that the human mind was meant to be. That person that you came with, they're sitting next to, that person that you love on the outside, they will never fill you in the same way that God fills you. And if you are seeking in your husband, in your wife, in your children, in your job, in that career, in your retirement, deep meaning and satisfaction, you are missing it and you will never, ever, ever find it. God is to be the focus of our self-seeking. Not your spouse, not your friend, not your job, not that future somebody. God is to be the one that we focus on self-seeking 
We find our meaning. We find our purpose. We find our satisfaction. We find our joy first and foremost in Him and Him alone. In other words, take all of your self-love, all your longings for joy, all your longings for hope, all your longings for security, all your longings for significance in this world. Take all of that and focus it on God. And when you do, and you do it with all of your heart, all of your soul, with all of your mind, He will satisfy your heart, soul, and mind. And what you will find, what you will find is that this is not a canceling out of self-love. What you will find is that this is a fulfillment and transformation of self-love. It will, it will transform everything. Everything. Self-love is a desire for life. It's a desire for satisfaction rather than frustration and death. And God says, listen, come to me. And I will give you fullness of joy come to me I'll, I'll heal your hurting soul come to you come to me all you who are wandering you can find rest in me I will satisfy your heart I will satisfy your soul I will satisfy your mind my glory, with my purpose. And this is the first and great commitment. You see, the Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus. And he goes, no, no, I've got it. Your first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love him. And that lawyer was going, absolutely right. But Jesus looks deeper into our hearts and says, but you need to remember this. The second is exactly like it. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. And with this great dis discovery that, that God is this never-ending fountain of joy, he is the one that is, when we seek after him with all of our heart, all of our soul, with all of our mind, other places it says even with all of our strength everything that you have when you seek after him there is this fountain of joy fountain of strength this fountain of deep satisfaction that just comes up and it changes radically changes the way that we love others forever radically changes when we love God and seek after him with all we have, and he is our greatest desire, our greatest source of joy, he is the fountain that keeps on flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing and never ends. It's inexhaustible. When we find that deep joy in him, it changes the way that we can love other people. And I want us to get that. Because as soon as we get that, that changes the way that we look at people up and down these streets. It changes the way that we look at our, our difficult co-workers, our difficult neighbors, our difficult friends, our difficult people that we bump into. It changes. When our satisfaction is first and 
foremost, found in Jesus Christ and what he has done, when we love him with all that we have, and we know that his love and his grace is inexhaustible, and it fills us, that is where we are deeply rooted, it changes the way that we love the world changes the way that we look at our finances. It changes the way that we look at our time. It changes the way that we spend our creative energy. And Jesus says, listen, love your neighbor as yourself. We will stop. If we truly get this, we'll stop saying, you know what, this is absolutely too threatening for me. This means my love for myself is, is, is made impossible by my claims of my neighbors, and I just can't do this. I can't love them as I love myself. It's absolutely impossible. And without Christ and without our joy found in him, it is impossible. It is absolutely impossible. And the world will go, are you smoking something? Because you, you want to do what? That is ridiculous. That is impossible. Love you. It's all about you. Instead, we can say, absolutely, you're right. I do love myself. I have longings, deep longings for joy. I have deep longings for satisfaction and fulfillment and significance and security in this world. But God has called me, and in fact, he has absolutely commanded me to come to him first for everything. Not for my neighbor, not for my spouse, not for my children, not for that girlfriend, not from that teacher, not from this job or anything. I come to him first, and he commands me that my love for him be in the form of my love for me. And all, that all my longings for me, I find in him. My quest for happiness, my quest for happiness is none other than my quest for for God. My quest for happiness is nothing else other than a quest for God. And he has been found in Jesus Christ. So what is Jesus commanding in the second commandment? And I want you to remember that he is on his way to the cross. He is walking directly towards the cross, knowing full well that his time is coming to an end. And the only way to achieve the purposes that the Father has sent him to do is by death on this cross. He knew that, and he was walking directly. Now, does that, that sounds contrary, right, to pursuing of happiness and joy and satisfaction, to walk directly towards difficulty and pain and, yes, death. But Jesus does this. And so what is Jesus commanding? He's commanding that our self-love, which has now been transposed into, into God-seeking, overflow and extend itself to our neighbors. So if here's some examples. If you long to savor more and more of God's wisdom, more of his counsel in difficult, deep, difficult times, then seek to extend more of God's wisdom to others. 
in that stressful time and in those stressful relationships. So as you are seeking God's wisdom, as you are seeking his counsel in difficult times, in the same way, offer it to others. If you delight in seeking God's goodness in relaxed times of leisure, of rest, then extend that goodness to others by helping them have relaxed, healthy times of leisure. If you want to see more of God's saving grace powerfully manifested in your life, then stretch out that grace into the lives of others who are in need of that saving grace as well. If you want to enjoy more of the riches of God's personal friendship through the thick and the thin, if you want God's friendship to be more rich and profound through the thick and the thin of life, in the same way, extend that friendship to the lonely and difficult through the thick and the thin. In all these ways, neighbor love does not threaten self-love because self-love has become God love. And God's love is not threatened. God's love is not diminished. God's love is not exhausted by being poured into the lives of others. And if you think that, you've missed it. God's love is never exhausted or diminished by you pouring into the lives of others. Now, having said that, I don't mean that this answers all the questions about love. It doesn't answer or even take away every kind of threat in loving your neighbors. There are many perplexities and quirks in loving people and it is not just as simple as I love God and I love others. A plus B equals C, right? It is far more complex. We do live in a world that is riddled with sin and it is a mess. There are hard choices about what to give up and what to keep. There are many different interpretations of what really is good for another person. And sometimes, as Laura and I were talking about this, this really complex thing of what does it, it mean for us in our marriage, sometimes the most loving thing that I can do, that we can do, that you can do for another person is to say no. Love is not yes all the time. Love is, no, I love you so much. God says no. God, in fact, out of his love, he disciplines. In the same way, it might be no. But what I do mean, and I want you to hear this, kind of throw this up. Loving God sustains us through all the joy and pain, and perplexity 
and uncertainty of what loving our neighbor should be. Loving God. Loving God sustains us. Do you believe that? That loving God will sustain you and carry you through all of the the messiness of life that He will carry you through? Or do you believe that you will carry you through? Loving God will sustain you through everything, through every messy, ugly, dirty situation this life might throw at you. God will sustain you through it all. He will carry you through and you will find greater joy in Him as you do it. So when the sacrifice, hear me, when the sacrifice is great, we need to remember that His grace is sufficient. When there is a fork in this road of what does loving this person look like and how do I do this, there's no clear end or direction here. We need to remember that with joy and love, no matter what is done, His grace is sufficient even in that. When we are distracted by the world and our hearts get off the track temporarily to to selfishness, our own personal satisfaction, it's all about me, 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 and we get back into that world and we're off the path, we also need to remember that God alone can satisfy. And we are to repent and love His all-sufficient grace even more. I really believe that if we get this, if this takes deep root in our hearts, our minds, in our soul, that we are to love Him with all that we have, all that we are, we pursue Him, it is going to totally, totally turn our world upside down. And we are going to come together Sunday after Sunday and go, you are not going to believe what just happened this week. I know I should believe it. I know that God is big and that he's huge and all these things he has promised. I know, I know, but I still can't believe what God did this week. I opened up my life. I opened up my checkbook. I opened up my time. I opened up my creative energy. I opened up my family. I opened up our house. We, I know I'm not a good cook, but I, I made this meal and these people were so blessed. And through that, I had opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what happened? I don't believe it, but I know that I should. They responded to God's grace. Do you believe it? Absolutely. I had no, Paul, I had no time this week. Literally, I had something on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I had about 15 minutes on Friday. And finally, I said, you know what, God, whatever you want me to do, there's this person crying over here, and they just look like they're in this tough place. And I opened up my heart. I opened up my mind because I know that God, my satisfaction is found in him and my security is found in him. So I opened my, my life. I said, hey, what can I do? And you know what happened? For the next 45 minutes to an hour, this person just poured out their lives. And I shared with them the grace found in Jesus Christ. I can't believe it happened. But wait, yes, I can. Paul, we are, we are at the end of our budget. We, we had about 
$20 according to Dave Ramsey that we could spend this month. And that's all that he said that we could spend because that's in our, what is it called, Dave? The, the money you could throw away? Blow money. That's the blow money you can just throw away on whatever you want to. And, and I know that my wife wants me to stay within this budget because we created this and Dave Ramsey blessed it and sanctioned it. But you know what? Out of, out of this deep sense of need and my deep satisfaction in God, I am no longer held to that, but I am called to a different kind of generosity found in Jesus Christ. And you know what he did? He blessed it. Not just doubled it. Quadrupled. He, he multiplied it. And it's just amazing what God did when I was faithful to him and not bound to my security, my safety, all these things. But I found it in him. And I obeyed. These could be our stories. I don't have any more time. I don't have any more energy. The question is, where are you finding your satisfaction? Where are you finding your joy? Really? Where are you finding it? Where are you finding your security? Your hope? Is it found in Him? Are you loving Him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? Are you loving him? Because this is the first and great commandment. Love the Lord your God. But the second is like it. It's an expression. The second is an expression of what we really believe, of where our joy is found. It's a radical commandment. And what does it do? It gets to the root of our sin. It gets to our pride. He wants us to focus our passion to be happy. He wants our, our passion to be found firmly in God and in God alone. And in the second commandment, he opens the whole world to us. The whole world is our playground now. The whole world is our playground. When we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and we love our neighbor as ourselves, the whole world suddenly becomes our playground of dispensing grace, dispensing joy, dispensing the gospel. Every place that you are planted becomes a place to share the love of Christ, as you are finding in Him. The Christian walk is to be a playground of grace. People, everywhere you find them, are designed to receive and enlarge your joy in God. Love them the way that you love yourself. Show them, give them through every practical means available what you yourself have found in God. Every practical means. Next week, you are going to see a video 
And this is going to drive it home of, of an African church that was ravaged, ravaged by war. I love it. Maybe I should, no, I'm not going to send it out. But they themselves recognized their security was not found in themselves or in the world around them. It wasn't found in the Western world. Found in what God had done for them and is doing in and through them. And that's my prayer for us. Amen. Song time downstairs. We've got time. So what does this mean? What does this mean? You've heard the word, expounded on. Some of you are going, oh, Lord, I don't know what this means. What is the Spirit stirring in you saying, and this is not the duty time, but this response time? What is God saying? It can be a conviction. It can be a direction, a leading that the God might be giving you. A word even maybe for our congregation. What does God say? And poor isn't just financially poor either, but it is. Good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted. What else? What is God putting on your heart? Hmm. And it changes generational patterns, too. What else? Absolutely. Anyone else? We'll give you one.
Absolutely. Thank you, Jenny. Do you have something, Erica? How do you, in your deep satisfaction with God, help people find their deep satisfaction and happiness in God? Good. Good word. Others. As we come to the Lord's Supper, is again a visual representation. We're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind. Heart, soul, mind, strength. And as you look at this, you, you see Jesus at the end giving himself up perfectly. And for me, it reminds me of my failures even again this week. Of my own self-love me finding satisfaction in me, myself, and I, and forgetting the sacrifice that changed my eternity forever. We come to this cross and God says, listen, come. Tired, wandering, thirsty, hungry. Those of you who have found self-love in other kinds of ways other than through me, come. Remember and believe. Take, eat, and be satisfied in, satisfied in. May your thirst be satiated, your hunger be satiated in me. May you find yourself deeply filled in me. Do this in remembrance of me. What has been done? Do this in remembrance.